This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to have you along on this great Saturday. And today we have a great show lined up for you. My guest in the studio is going to be Dr. Tanya Bilchik, and she's been a regular guest on our program to talk about migraine headaches. And we always get a lot of feedback from our listeners because, um, let's face it, Migraine headaches affect 40 million Americans. A billion people worldwide are affected by migraine headaches. And it is a huge source of disability in this country, meaning people can't go to work because of the severity of migraine headache. So we're going to be chatting with her a little bit later on on what is a migraine and what are some of the new treatments to really attack this problem and allow people to go to work and live their lives. So it's always exciting to talk to her. Uh, You know, you can't turn a TV on these days without hearing something about medicine, right? The coronavirus, um, we have health policy. When you turn on the debates, they're fighting over the single-payer system, what is the best system. And there's always the vaccine debate that goes on. But, you know, the purpose of our program is to really give you good information to help your own health. And make good health decisions because all health is personal when it comes to you as an individual and the decisions you are going to make regarding whether what you eat, what you drink, and how your level of activity is. And that's what we hope to share with all of you. Uh, this day in medicine, February 22nd, 1794. Uh, Dr. Caspar Frederick Wolf died on that day in 1794. Now, he was a Russian physician and anatomist and the founder of embryology. And he was the first person to really identify the germ layers in embryos. Now, the importance of this is obviously in embryology is where we as a physicians and scientists learn the most about the human body. When you hear the word germ layer, we're not referring to germs in the sense of bacteria and viruses. Uh, we're talking about groups of cells really that interact with each other and come together to form organs and tissues. So he was really the first person to describe those and really made a big impact on medicine in general because it is a clearly a fundamental part of what we do. I did want to talk a little bit about some of the legal 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 medicine has become kind of a big issue. We we hear about that a lot with forensic medicine uh where we're going back and trying to find out who committed a crime um and how the crime was committed. Uh, But there's also a lot that we see on TV now with legal cases, right? And invariably, no matter what station you watch, whether it be 
CNN or MSNBC or you watch Fox or any other station, they love bringing up cases of malpractice or where someone was wronged. But one of the issues is 100% of the time when you see those cases, it's always the plaintiff. That means it's the person bringing suit against some institution or some other person. It's always the person bringing suit that's on TV or on the radio. Why? Because their attorneys have access to this. They'll put out press releases where defendants in many of these cases cannot comment based on their institution. There was one this week, I think it was on CNN, um, where it was someone who was suing Cedars-Sinai Hospital for them doing something wrong to somebody in their family, and yet Cedars-Sinai cannot respond to that. They're not allowed to. But So it really gives somebody a leg up. So when you listen to these cases, it's it's really only one side of the pancake. Now, to the credit of WTIC, this week I heard on uh, Joe and, and Ray this morning, uh, one morning this week, they actually followed up on a case. It was someone who brought suit against an institution. I think it was a hospital in Boston. Uh, it was a uh, med mal case or something. But, you know, they actually said, oh, by the way, this case finally went to court and the jury found that the institution didn't do anything wrong. And it's important because that's the final outcome. So people get out there and really assault the reputation of a physician or a group or a hospital, and we really don't know the final outcome. So the point of what I'm bringing up is take what you're looking at on TV, hearing on the radio, when you hear about these cases, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. You've only heard half the story. And that's absolutely imperative uh, when you're going forward and uh, looking and listening at uh, to these cases, especially with uh, medical malpractice, because so many of these uh, do get resolved in favor of the uh, defendants. An article in the New England Journal of Medicine this week I did want to mention, uh, you know, one thing about the New England Journal, it usually takes a long time to get an article published, but you could see that when it's something that's affecting everybody quickly, they expedite it. Now, this is a huge study um, that was done uh, actually in Atlanta, Georgia. And there are many, many uh, authors on this who looked at the – basically it was called um, vaping product use associated lung injury. So it was the electronic cigarette looking at people's lungs. So those people who died or were severely in, injured by the vaping problem. So what they did was they were able to look at fluid in their lungs with a bronchoscope. So you put a scope down there and you get some of this fluid out to try and find out what is it that has caused this problem. And it's a small sample size because there haven't been that many people affected by it. So they looked at like 51 people. And it was clear that in their sample of 51 patients in 16 different states that vitamin E acetate was associated with electronic cigarette or vaping product use and its associated lung injury. So again, 
we have identified it very quickly. We've identified the culprit here and know what needs to be avoided. What really needs to be avoided? Vaping. Okay. It's, it's not good for you. And that's the information that we should take from that. And unfortunately, due to this toxin, people have been permanently injured. Next up, we're going to be chatting with my guest, Dr. Tanya Bilchik. Let me give you the phone numbers here. It's 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can also email me live on the radio at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and... Today, my guest is once again Dr. Tanya Bilchik. Dr. Bilchik is a headache specialist. She is a neurologist. She's an MD and did a residency in neurology with extra subspecialty training in headache treatment. Tanya, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, how many years is a fellowship in in headache now? It can be one year or it can be two years Although I actually started headache in 2000, which was even before yeah. they had headache fellowships. So I went in on something called a practice track. Wow. So if your practice was more than 50% headache, you were able to do the headache board exam based on your previous experience. Obviously, that has changed because now there are numerous headache fellowships oh, in yeah. the country. They can be one year or two years. And. Is your practice 100% headache? 100% headache with five leftover patients from when I did general neurology with seizure disorders. Don't, I, isn't that always the case? Even yeah. though my practice is primarily sports and EMG, I, I've still got these other patients that you just you just get bound to. I mean, you just well, love them like family members and you just... Exactly. Just You've started out when, you know, the mid-early 1990s and... Some of your patients go, you're moving, you're changing, we're coming with you. So let's talk uh, today about headache, uh, and specific, specifically talking about migraine, because we hear the term migraine um, thrown around a little bit too much and, and doesn't necessarily meet the definition. Because when we think of migraine, I mean, it's the number two reason in this country for disability. And people should know exactly what is a migraine headache. Okay, so... If you really want to be specific about it, there is the International Headache Society classification of migraine, which is moderately severe headache, throbbing, light sensitivity and noise sensitivity and or nausea with or without aura, which is the lights, the zigzags, the flashes, the blind spots, etc. But only 15% of people with migraine actually have an aura preceding the headache. So make life really simple, especially when you're a primary care doc and you don't have a lot of time to make a diagnosis. We kind of look at headache disability. In other words, does this person with headache have some kind of disability, having difficulty at work, at family because of headache? So headache disability, nausea with headache, and photophobia or light sensitivity with headache. And that very brief screener is known as ID migraine. It's three questions, which really takes a few minutes to ask. And if two-thirds of those are answered in the positive, there's a 75% probability that that is a migraine. So moderately severe headache, light sensitivity, nausea, disability. That's a migraine. Wow. 
so when we look at that by definition, because there's a big difference between treating migraine and treating headache right. or tension. So can we talk about what's not migraine? What's not migraine? Okay, so what is a tentum headache? A tentum headache is a less severe headache. Migraines tend to be one side of the head with hypersensitivity to touch. A tentum headache is usually in the front part of the head, the forehead. It's pressure-like. It's not as severe. You can usually go about your day. There's not as much disability with a tentum headache. There's disability with migraine. And everybody gets a tentum headache. Get about your day. Take a couple of over-the-counter ibuprofen or Excedrin. Headache goes away. And migraines are more severe. So what's not a migraine? A tentum headache's not a migraine. If you tend to be somebody that likes to put everything in the same basket, a lot of people have migraine and other headaches. So we, if you're having more headache days than non-headache days, we call them chronic migraine. In other words, headache almost every day, five days a week, with or without some of the migraine symptoms. If you're having at least eight migraine days per month, plus all these other headaches, we call it chronic migraine. So that's a variant of migraine. We also have other kinds of headaches, headaches coming from the neck. Uh, related to arthritis in the neck, poor posture. We call those cervicogenic headaches. They're usually in the back part of the head. They don't have light sensitivity or nausea or movement sensitivity. We also have headaches that really make us nervous. We call them the worst headache of my life. They're not migraines. They're the ones that if you have a sudden onset severe, we call them thunderclap headaches. That's the headache you take yourself off to the emergency room for. And then there are a couple of rare subtypes of headaches. They belong to a group called trigeminal autonomic cephalgia. The commonest out of that group is cluster headache. Again, it's a one-sided headache around the eye. Those headaches can be really excruciating. Cluster headaches are also known as suicide headaches. They are the rare headache disorder that's more common in men than in women. Wake somebody up from sleep. They are much shorter in duration than migraine. They last from 15 minutes to 180 minutes, whereas a migraine, by definition, lasts from 4 hours to 72 hours. So lots of different headache types. Commonest headache in the world is actually a tantrum headache. Commonest headache with disability is migraine. What about the folks, uh, a couple of other headaches, I guess I wanted to talk about. You, you mentioned um, some of the trigeminal issues uh, when we hear about trigeminal neuralgia and occipital neuralgia, which... I find myself seeing more and more. Maybe that's why from from the idea of sports. Can you talk about those neuralgias a little bit? Sure. Well, trigeminal neuralgia, the trigeminal nerve is the predominant sensory nerve of the anterior two-thirds of the head. So not only the face, the eye, the sinuses, but also the lining of the brain in the anterior two-thirds of the head. Now, trigeminal neuralgia in and of itself is actually not really thought of as a headache disorder. It's probably something affecting the trigeminal nerve, which is the nerve that affects the face or supplies the face. And there can be many causes, including a loop of blood vessel sitting on the nerve in the back part of the brain or the brainstem. It could be an area of demyelination or damage to that nerve. It's common in multiple sclerosis because of demyelination. It could be damage to the nerve from whatever. And a lot of times people with dental pain think that the problem is from tooth, whereas it may actually be from trigeminal neuralgia. 
Occipital is the back part of the head. The nerves come out of the upper part of the neck in the upper two cervical vertebrae. And if that nerve is either injured or damaged, either by neck or by trauma or by inflammation to that nerve itself, it's a sharp, stabbing pain. So I always ask my patients, what does it feel like? Sharp, stabbing makes me think of neuralgia or nerve. What's interesting uh, that w- what you just mentioned is ask the patient because at least in neurology, just from talking to the patient, you could almost make a diagnosis uh, based on their description. And and don't you find that often patients come in and say, wow, this really sounds crazy, but I feel like somebody's shoving an ice pick in my face. And we both know that that's just a perfect description of someone with trigeminal neuralgia. Right. Or even, you know, somebody's got a red hot poker in my eye and that's a cluster headache. Right. So it's very interesting. So for patients out there, when you go see your doctor, uh, don't be afraid to use those terms because they're so important and so descriptive for all of us. Um, The phone number's here. We're chatting with Dr. Tanya Bilchik, who is a headache specialist. Uh, The phone number here is 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. In the second half of our program today, we're going to be chatting about the treatment of headache. And there have been a lot of older treatments, and there are some exciting new treatments going forward. And a lot of these treatments do not carry side effects to them. And so that makes it even more phenomenal. We're also going to talk about the fact that opioids don't have a role in the treatment of migraine headaches. And it's important for us to understand that, especially with the opioid crisis going on. So with that, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be back with Dr. Tanya Bilchik. You're listening to WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're chatting today with my guest, Dr. Tanya Bilchik, and we're chatting about headaches, and specifically migraine headaches and their variations. Uh, We're going to take a quick call here. We have Paul from Middlebury. You had a question about cluster headaches, Paul? Hi, good morning. Yes, well, cluster headaches and trigeminal neuralgia. Sure, what's the question? Well, so approximately two years ago, I brushed my teeth one night before I went to bed, and I got this horrible, horrible pain in the left side of my face. And I went into work the next day, and I told some friends, and they said trigeminal neuralgia. So I saw a neurologist who put me on trileptal and baclofen, and uh, it stopped. That was two years ago. A year and a half ago, no, a year ago, they started to taper me off my meds to see if it would work, and it came back just as bad. So they put me back on all my meds. And because I failed uh, a taper on the meds, that meant meant I was a candidate for a gamma knife. So I went through that. That was last summer. Um, And right before the gamma knife, the pain came back again, even though I was on the meds. And so after the gamma knife, my neurologist quizzed me about my headaches and by what I told him, he now thinks I have cluster headaches. So he has me on M. Gallaty and the trileptal and the baclofen. I haven't had an attack since last July. I would love to get off some of these medications. Um, what do you think? Well, first of all, I'd say you have the good fortune of having a condition that responds to those medications. 
But, Tanya, what about this being one of the TACs? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions because you can pretty easily distinguish cluster headache from a trigeminal neuralgia by cardinal findings with cluster, which are autonomic symptoms. Red eye, teary eye, stuffy nose, hot poker through the eye. Do you have any of the other symptoms that go along with cluster, like a teary eye, a stuffy nose, droopy no. eye, red eye? No, but the neurologist asked me those exact questions, and I said to him, when the pain occurs, it's so bad, all I want to do is lay on the floor and cry. I can't even think about looking at my face. Does, so, does it occur in clusters, I guess, is the other question. Does it wake you up from sleep? Oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. Um, the when... one thing he did ask me is when do they start and when do they end? And they always start at 1 in the morning and they always end at 5 in the morning. Always. Wow. It actually sounds like... You know, it sounds like it is a cluster, but it also sounds like it's got trigeminal symptoms. So sometimes it's hard to tell. And in your case, I agree, it's a hard one to tell. Emgality injectable, 300 milligrams once a month, which is three injections once a month, is actually Correct. approved for cluster. Mm -hmm. And then the medicines that you're on, the trileptal and the baclofen, are approved for trigeminal neuralgia. So you're on, you're covering two bases. But my question is, did you ever get the gamma knife? Yes, did. I did, last July. And did it help? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I haven't had an attack. I had two attacks last July, right before the gamma knife. Right. And I haven't had a single attack since I had the gamma knife and since I was on the medications. He started me on the M. Galilee in December and I haven't had any attacks still right. since last July. So we okay. don't know what worked, but something's working. I something's mean, usually, working. whenever we get kind of this situation, at least in my practice, when I get into a situation where symptoms have gone away, I start to take away medications that have the highest side effects. So maybe the baclofen and or the trileptal. But you'd speak to your doctor and, yeah. you know, you have to sometimes give it a try. And if it comes back again, then you know you need the meds. Paul, out of curiosity, are you a smoker? I'm an, uh, so I was and I'm an ex-smoker now. Okay. Because, because we see cluster more in smokers. That that, yeah, I was told that could cause it. So Absolutely. I, even though I smoked for 50 years, I quit in December two months ago. And the headaches so, got better in December also. So that's another. So there's so many variables in this. And, you know, nobody reads a textbook before they get symptoms. And so you have symptoms of both. I'll tell you what, though, Paul. It sounds like your doc is on the ball here. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Right. And so I want him to start tapering me off the meds. But I told him I don't want to be tapered unless you can guarantee me that pain won't come back. It's so severe. And then stay on the medication. Uh, first of all, you're not on. You're, it sounds like you're tolerating the medication. Okay, none of these well, are addictive or habit forming. Right. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee it's not going to come back. There's no guarantee right. in medicine. You know, I've had, I've had patients that had gamma knife that did beautifully, but unfortunately, it came back even after gamma knife. Well, okay. Paul, so, you know, he guaranteed me that you know that it, it could come back if I come off the meds. Um, the last time I talked to him, I asked him if he would help pay for my coffee bill because I'm so <laughs> tired on the trigeminal, I mean, on the trileptal and the baclofen. He said, no, but you can stop by and have a free cup anytime you want. <laughs> All right. I like your doc. At least he's got a sense of humor. Hey, Paul, listen, yeah. thanks for the call, man.
Appreciate uh, it. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, bye. So we kind of had a great course in medication. So let's talk a little bit about medications. One of the things I find frustrating, Tanya, is when I see a patient who clearly has migraine and they have not had the benefit of even a triptan medication. So I'd like our listeners to understand that there are some great medications out there that are not habit-forming, have minimal to no side effects, and can wipe these headaches out. Can you talk a little bit about sure. kind of the evolution of these medications? Oh, you want a history lesson? Sure, I'm why happy, not? Happy to give you a history lesson. So in the early 1990s, the first migraine-specific medication was sumatriptan. Now, even before that, we had the ergots. Right. And those people that have had migraines for many years know that cafagot, ergot, dihydroergotamine all help for migraine. So early 90s, we had a different group of medications evolve called the triptans. The first one was sumatriptan, and then there were seven of them, sumatriptan, rizotriptan, zomatriptan, elotriptan, frovatriptan, elmotriptan. Sounds like the seven dwarfs. It does. And um, those were wonderful for acute migraine. But, and here's the but, they are vasoconstrictive. They cause narrowing of blood vessels. So patients with cardiovascular disease, history of stroke, history of complicated migraine, were not able to use those medications. We didn't have a whole lot of alternatives, but the triptans revolutionized acute treatment of migraine. Fast forward to the early 2000s, they started looking at a different pathway for treating migraine. So the triptans worked on the serotonin system. The new migraine medications, both for prevention and acute treatment, work on a different pathway called the CGRP pathway, calcitonin gene-related peptide. It's a neuropeptide, it's a neurotransmitter, and it is released during migraine. So theoretically, block the CGRP from attaching to the CGRP receptor, you will block transmission of migraine. Two years ago, so now we're talking 2017, 2018, the first of the migraine preventive CGRP blocking agents became available. It was Arenumab. Its trade name is Amovig. And shortly after, there were two others, Emgality, Galcanizumab, and Ajovi, Fremenizumab. They're all human or humanized monoclonal antibodies. So they're injectable. They're big molecules that have to be injected. They inject subcutaneously under the skin and they're migraine preventive. They block the CGRP from being attached to the CGRP receptor, preventing migraine. So that is a whole new class of migraine preventives that are given injections monthly, and the side effects are pretty minimal. Now, 10 years ago, you and I had the conversation of CGRP antagonists, but those CGRP antagonists had a bad reputation. Right. So those Can were... you just say, because I want people to understand, it's a... They're different. Different. Okay, so the late 1990s, there were a two or three small CGRP molecules. They were taken by mouth, and they were looking at them for migraine treatment and migraine prevention. And we were all really excited because the CGRP drugs do not narrow blood vessels. Unfortunately, 2000, they realized that these small molecules were causing liver toxicity, so you may help the headache, but you may damage the liver. So that's an unacceptable side effect. So it took a long time 
to clean up those drugs so that they did not cause liver toxicity. The monoclonal antibodies are totally different. They are not metabolized by the liver. The monoclonal antibodies are broken down just like any other immunoglobulin or protein in the body. So they stay around for a long time. In the last few months, actually the end of January, we now have another class of acute migraine, not migraine prevention, but acute migraine being available. The first one that was launched about three weeks ago is called Ubrojapant. Its trade name is Ubrelvi. And it is for acute migraine, not migraine prevention. So it's blocking the CGRP receptor and treating the acute headache, not prevention. It's got a shorter half-life. In other words, it doesn't stay in your system for a month. It stays in your system for approximately seven hours. So it's just so everybody understands. When we talk about acute treatment, it means it's a medication you only take when you're getting the headache, which makes it great. So you don't have to take a, a medication several times a day or every day. And it's a medication that's in your body and out in seven hours. Right. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take a short break right now because we want to get back and talk a little bit about this new classification of drugs, these CGRP antagonists that are just coming on the market. So you're hearing it first here on Healthy Rounds. With that, we're going to take a short break, and you're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds in our final segment. We're chatting with Dr. Tanya Bilchik, who is a headache specialist. And uh, we're going to chat a little bit about, Tanya, we just started on kind of this evolution of medication. And one of the medications I still see out there, uh, much to my chagrin to some degree, is Furacet. And uh, although for some people Furacet has worked, and I would keep them on it. Um, starting new patients on Furacet when they come out of an ED, um, does it do any good? Well, patients like Furacet because it has a couple of ingredients that make people feel better. Barbiturate. They've got a barbiturate, which is related to phenobarb, which helps the anxiety. It's got caffeine. Caffeine's a vasoconstrictor. It helps with headache. And it's got acetaminophen, or it has aspirin, that's furanol has aspirin, furacet has acetaminophen. If you really want to go whole hog on the whole thing, you add a little codeine. And then you've got <laughs> furacet or furanol with codeine. And that kind of covers everything. But it has multiple mechanisms of action. And what I don't like about it is the fact that it's very addictive. It is highly addictive. And so, you know, when you had no alternatives for people that had vascular disease or a history of heart disease, what did we have for them for headache? We had Furacet, which we don't like, but at least it is relatively safe in small doses used infrequently. Or opiates, which again, what do you, if you don't have anything else and you want to just dull the pain, that's what you use. Or we used to use, and we still do, a lot of the anti-nausea medications were pretty well in headache, like Reglan, which is metoclopramide, compazine, promethazine. 
So some of the anti-emetics work, but patients actually once, unfortunately, once they get a taste of furoset or opiates for headache, they think they're the best things. So really true migraineurs who are given a prescription for opiates from the emergency room go, it didn't work for me. And that's how I know. So, you know, we didn't have anything until very recently that was migraine-specific and safe in people with vascular disease. In the studies with Ubrojapant, they actually included patients in the studies that had an event more than either a cardiovascular or cerebrovascular event more than six months before they were in the studies. So they didn't exclude them. They just excluded people that had acute events. And these these new medications, the Ubrojapant, Rimagipant is the next one coming out. Um, they don't cause narrowing blood vessels, so they are a lot safer than the old triptans. And, and that's uh, so, so the audience understands a little bit. Uh, you know, one of the basics of migraine is this dilation of blood vessels and causing the pain and stretching nerve endings. So obviously you want to narrow those blood vessels. But when you narrow blood vessels in the heart in someone who has heart disease, you're likely to cause a heart attack. Well, you, it's it's definitely theoretical. And in fact, the, the dilated blood vessels are actually not the cause of the migraine. They're Absolutely. secondary. Exactly. They're secondary to all these inflammatory peptides being released. CGRP, for example, is one of the most potent vasodilators. So CGRP actually dilates blood vessels. And that's one of the theories as to the mechanism of dilated blood vessels in migraine versus the dilated blood vessels triggering the headache. It's the other way around. I, I particularly like these medications in athletes because they don't interfere with athletic performance. Right. And you and I share several patients who are highly performing athletes and can use these medications and go out and perform. Yes. And actually, we mustn't forget, there's also an acute anti-inflammatory because a lot of people can get, awa- get away with ibuprofen, naproxen, yep. Advil or Aleve, aspirin. There is actually a prescription formulation of, um, it's called Cambia, it's diclofenac. Yep. Diclofenac potassium. And it is a very fast-acting anti-inflammatory that's used in acute migraines as well that's not a vasoconstrictor. And actually, the reason I brought that up is because we share an athlete that does pretty well with diclofenac. One of our problems is Cambia. 30 pills for $900. Right, or nine pills for, you know, 200 The problem is... What? Why? Because it is a branded medication, and that's the problem we're running into. With a lot of the new meds, because they're branded, they are difficult to obtain cost-wise, even though they may be approved. They're very expensive. And also you need a prior authorization. So those of us that you know are using these meds do a lot of paperwork to get them approved for their patients. And in order to get some of the newer meds approved, they've either have to have contraindications, in other words, heart disease or failure of previous older medications. Yeah, and and Cambia really was a a breakthrough medication. Uh, A quick question. One of the things you talked about, people who have nausea and vomiting and then have migraine, and one of the things we don't use in this country are suppositories, yet uh, there are triptan suppositories used in Europe all the time. Is it a cultural thing more than anything? I think so because I'm originally from South Africa, if you didn't guess from my accent. And injections and suppositories were totally acceptable 
Whereas in America, when I suggest a suppository, an anti-nausea, anti-vomiting suppository to my patients here, they go, I'll take the pill. Yeah, every time. Yeah. Tanya, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And uh, the the time goes so fast whenever you're here. Uh, but thank you so much for what you do for all our patients, uh, being a, a really super headache specialist and working with people with um, headache. And thank you for having me because I think that my favorite expression that I get from patients, and some of my patients have been with me for a very long time and we've tried almost everything, is I'm getting a normal life. And that's that's our goal. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Oko has been on the board. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week on Healthy Rounds, we're going to be live again, and we're going to be chatting about heart disease in women. February is Women's Heart Month, and we want to, we don't want the month to get away from us without talking about it. If you missed any part of today's program, download the Healthy Rounds podcast. It's free on iTunes. Next up is Garden Talk with Len. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.